Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. Don't we all want to see God? Come on, somebody. We want to see God, don't we? We, we live our lives in a way that would cause us one day to see God. Um, I think that it is, it is an imperative that we want to see God. You know, we, we don't want to hide from God. That's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. They, uh, they had sinned, and so they felt guilt and shame, and they ran and hid. But we should want to see God. But so many times in our lives, we wrestle with this whole idea of what that means to see God. One of the books in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, talks about this. And it says, strive for peace with everyone, Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the, striving for now, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we should strive for peace with everyone and strive for holiness without which no one will see God. Hold up. We want to see God, but then it says without holiness, we can't see God. We have to be holy to see God. And we're like perplexed here. What does this mean? Oh, no, I'm not holy. How do I see God? You know, the Bible tells us that God is holy. He's holy, consecrated. He's set apart. He's different. He's pure. The Bible says also that when we're in Christ, we are holy. And then it goes on to say, as a command to us to be holy. So God is holy. He makes us holy. And then he tells us to be holy. One of the ways to look at that is to say to agree with God. You want to be holy, agree with God. Agree with God's word, what God says. In culture, especially now, but it's always been this way, culture gets right in our grill, man, and it, and it tries to tell us, nah, God's dead, God's old, God doesn't matter. Oh, come on, that's kind of old-fashioned. You're not listening to that old book culture. I mean, uh, the Bible culture says, you know, that, that stuff, ah, that's, that's for your great-grandparents. That's not for us. We're new. We're, we're, re, re, we're, uh, we're young. We're vibrant. We, we've, intellectually, we've, we've come a long way. You know, we're not like that anymore, right? But yet God still says, I'm holy, and my way is the way, and there is no other way, God's way. And so we have to make a decision, and it is a dilemma for us. We have to make a decision. Am I going to agree with God, or am I going to be persuaded by the world to disagree with God, or to agree with the world, which is in essence the same thing, right? To agree with the world is to disagree with God. Second Corinthians chapter 6 kind of lays out this idea of holiness. It says in verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And, okay, so that's a, a farming term. I'm not a farmer, but I have studied <clears throat> Google. And uh, no, no, you may know this too, but it's a yoke. It'd be like a beam that you would put on two oxen. And so you've got... Uh, a plow, and you're going to plow a field, and you've got a team of oxen, and you put a beam across two oxen, and you might chain that to two more oxen, two more oxen, you might have six, eight, a team of oxen, but the beam is called a yoke, and it's, it's around their necks, and it kind of keeps them pulling together, and it harnesses them together, and here, in using farming terms, most likely speaking to a farming community, the writer says, do not be unequally yoked. Don't get in a harness with someone who doesn't have your values. 
If you're saying that I'm a believer and you're saying I'm God's, I belong to him, right? Not my own. I'm bought with a price. I belong to Jesus Christ. Then that means I agree with Jesus. So I agree with Jesus. That's my values. That's my filter, my paradigm in which I see the world. And so I'm going to stick with God. And it says don't get in a harness with. Now, what does that mean? Because it doesn't mean that you don't have relationships with or work with or go to school with or play ball with or whatever it may be. It doesn't mean those things, but it does mean don't be unequally yoked. Don't harness yourself with people who have, have opposing values. And that's hard sometimes because we're like, how do I even do that? Do I just shun people? Do I become uh, of, a, of a type of religion where I pull away? In, in Jesus's day, there were, the, there were the, the Essenes that just left Jerusalem, left Judea. They went out into the mountains and lived in the caves. Am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to go to big level and just hole up out there and on a farm and not come to town because I don't want to mingle with the unpure? You know what I mean? No, that's not what it means. But it does mean if you're going to do something significant with someone like get married or date. I mean, you should date to be married, right? You shouldn't just date for pleasure. but date to get married. Or if I'm going to go into business together with someone, something significant where there's legal bindings, it says don't be unequally yoked. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, not that I don't have relationships with people who are not of the same values, but I shouldn't spend the predominant amount of time in my life with people who are of unequal values. That's what it's saying there. We're, we're, we're not the same. That's unequally yoked. Does that make sense? Did I make just, did that make sense? Do I need to talk more? I'm going to let it go. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers or people who have different values. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? So there's contrasting the unequally yokedness. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Again, a parallel. Uh, what accord has Christ with Belial? Belial is the um, god of the forest. It was, it was the devil. It's the devil. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Here he's just... Comparing, he's kind of going on and on about don't be unequally yoked. Verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God? We are the people of God who make up the bricks in the temple of God. We're the house of God. This is analogies that the Bible uses. We're the family of God, right? But we're the temple of God where the presence of God dwells. The church is that. So we, being the temple of God, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? We don't. That's unequally yoked. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, now it's, it's referring to an Old Testament scripture. It says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. It's talking about us. We're the dwelling place of God. We are God's people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate. That word separate means to be distinct or set apart. Be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing or something that would cause you to be impure, something that would cause you to be unholy. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So it goes on in the next chapter. In, in chapter 7, it says, since we have these promises that God's presence would be in our midst, wow. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. God says, I'm holy. And through Christ Jesus, I make you holy, set apart. And now go and be holy. Maintain this holiness because as you do, 
and you maintain this cleansed attitude, repentant lifestyle, I'm able to come into your midst. I'm able to, able to dwell among you and be your father, as it said here, and you'll be my sons and daughters. Holiness is a separation from what is unclean as well as a consecration to what is pure. So if I'm in an environment, and I was, you were once, and we're going to call it the world, not in a blame them way, but just in a, because the Bible does way, but I'm in an unclean place, maybe in lifestyle, I'm yoked together with people who have similar lifestyle, we're just doing whatever pleases us without limitation, we're just, it's all about me, greed, and all those things. I'm in this unclean place, it says to separate yourself from that, so walk away from it, but it doesn't just mean walk away from it, it also means to embrace this new lifestyle of consecration. So I'm leaving one place and joining another of consecration, of holiness to God. Does that make me better? No. Does it make me special? Well, in God's eyes, maybe, but not really in comparison to the world. I'm not going to stand in this place. We are not going to be in this place and wag our finger at that place and say, you unclean people, nah, 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 look what we've got, look what you don't, We're, that's, not, that's not God's heart, right? But we should be humble and grateful that God allows us to do this. But it's in Christ Jesus that we're able to leave the unclean and join what is consecrated. Jesus said in our scripture today, blessed are the pure at heart for they shall see God. But we just said, if you're going to see God, you've got to be holy. So what does this mean to be blessed if you're pure in heart? Pure in heart and holiness are our first cousins. They're very, very similar Pure at heart would be a subset of holiness, pure. We've got to live pure. We have to, let me just say, we have to desire to live pure. I, I'm, 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 I'm going to start there. I'm going to start with this desire. Okay, God has, he's, he set me free from the old way, from the dirtiness, the uncleanness. He set me free from that, and he's called me holy. He's called me holy. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. It's, it's like he took the dirty dishes and he reached in and he grabbed the mug out of the dirty dishwater with all the spaghetti sauce and all of the, the mac and cheese all over the place. And, ugh, you know, I mean, and he, he, took, ugh, he took me out and, and then he washed me with some dishwashing liquid and soap. And, well, it was the blood of Jesus. That is not appealing. But it is. It, is. It's, it just washed me and he cleansed me. And he made me whole, he made me clean, he made me usable again. Amen. I mean, he made me worthy of use. And so, and then he sets me on his shelf, like the shelf that he uses. <laughs> and there I am, I'm there. I'm a little teapot. Doo -doo -doo. <laughs> and I'm clean. And then so so I, I have to maintain this this cleanness because I want to be of use to God, right? I, I can't go live in the dirty dishwater anymore. I, I mean, where the spaghetti sauce is, you know, from last night. I gotta stay clean. So if I were to be used, boop, then I go back to the dishwasher, man. I gotta be clean. I gotta be cleansed because I'm usable to God. So what does that look like? How do I get pure? How blessed are the pure at heart? What does that mean? Pure, pure, to live, to be clean. That's what it means. To be blameless. To be unstained from sin and guilt. But pure means to be not dirty. It means freedom from contamination. The psalmist in Psalms 24, verse 3 said, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or in other words, who shall 
spend time with God? Who shall go into the presence of God? Who shall see God, as we've already said? And who shall stand in his holy place? And he goes on to say, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. There's that pure heart. That might be where Jesus uh, even said, blessed are the pure in heart. He might have got that from Psalm 24. He was very well versed in the Psalms in the Old Testament. It's blessed of the pure heart. Who shall see God? Well, those that are pure in heart, those that are clean, those that are on the shelf over here ready for use, not in the dirty dishwater anymore. Clean hands and a pure heart. So clean hands and a pure heart is what the psalmist said. Clean hands refers to right actions, doing something. Clean hands, hands that are right, motives are pure. And a clean heart, internal. So not only is it the things I do, clean hands. It's the things I think and my intent, my motive. What's in my heart? Clean heart, pure heart. And God wants both to be pure. And I I think that, and if you've been around any length of time, you've read the Bible, some you know, the Bible says that our actions are usually come from our heart. The motive of our heart usually comes out in things we do, say, and, and act out. But it starts in the heart. But it, both matter, both our actions. God's, God's watching what we do. He's watching what we think and the motive of our heart. He wants those to be pure. He's a good father. I mean, if you're a parent, you do that with your children. You don't want to just know that they cleaned their room. You want to know that they did it with the right attitude. Pastor Van told the story a long time ago. He said there was a teacher and had a little boy named Johnny in the class. Sorry, John. And told the little boy to, to sit down, and he said, no, I won't sit down. And the teacher said, I said, sit down. And he said, no, I won't sit down. And the third time, the teacher said, I said, sit down. You sit down right now, or I'm going to send you to the office. And the little boy said, well, I'll, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You all know your kids have done that. They've had those attitudes, right? And we do too sometimes. I'll go through the motions of being good, but on the inside, I, I, I don't really want to do it. I'd r- much rather be over here in those dirty spaghetti dishwater, wallowing around in the pigsty with the pigs. I'd rather, maybe there's something, maybe there's something in me that longs for that. <laughs> I'm going to tell Angela, she'll be mad at me later, but. She hates, it. she hates it when I do this. I don't do this very often, but this is, this is a good one. I, I, there's been times There's been times in our marriage, we've been married 28 years, there's been times where she's told me, she's admitted, she's like, man, I just, sometimes I long for a cigarette. It's been a long time. It has been a long time, yeah, so you're probably free from that. <laughs> Watch later today, she'd be like, I'm longing for a cigarette. <clears throat> so, so, so she had a time, though, when she was in a late teen, early 20s, you know, where she was, she was not a pastor's wife. <laughs> You know, sometimes people think that you've been a pastor's wife your whole life <laughs> from a young age. <laughs> By the way, I haven't been a pastor my whole life either. I've done some really bad things. But, you know, there, there's that memory peg. There's that, that time, and sometimes she'll, she'll get a familiar smell or just something. You know, the brain is weird. It's, God made it so intricate. And, and, and then there's that longing for something unclean. You know, okay, so let me just, can I just do a quick commercial break? Uh, please, cigarettes. Sometimes we want to say, okay, okay, God, give me the list. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't cuss, and don't run with those that do, and I'm good, I'm going to heaven, I'm pure. And really, no, none of that, other than running with those that do, unequally yoked, are really wrong. The the, the Bible does not say, okay, okay, 
But Pastor Mike, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't smoke. Well, you shouldn't eat Twinkies either, man, but you do it all day long, right? Come on now. So we get on this hangup of cigarettes, and I'm not, a, I'm not a proponent of condoning cigarettes. I'm not, okay? So don't take me wrong here. But don't think if you quit smoking that you're going to heaven. It's just not, I don't know that Jesus, he, I don't, I can't speak for him in this case. I just don't know that Jesus is going to go, well done, my good and faithful servant. You didn't smoke those Marlboros anymore. I mean, I just don't know that he's going to do that. I don't know that you don't get to heaven with the nicotine stained fingers like you just smoked it on the way. And he says, come on in. I See, I don't know because, man, we make some things bigger than they should be, like drinking. Drinking, drinking is not a sin. Drink, getting drunk is a sin. And we get this idea, though, I'm not drinking. Now, if you don't drink and you abstain and you're convicted, don't drink. If you drink, you're sinning because you're convicted not to drink. But the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not drink. It says, don't get drunk because you're a fool when you drink. And you hurt people when you drink. And some of you, like my dad, was an alcoholic, drank every day, a whole 8, 10, 12 beers, and was mean. Don't do that. But don't condemn those that have a glass of wine with their meal. That's not a sin. See how, how easy it is? I'm still in my commercial break, by the way. You see how easy it is to get a hang up on legalism and don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And here, God does say don't do. He says, go and be holy and be clean and be pure. And that does mean don't do some things. Don't get in the dirty dishwater. But don't think that you're, because you're not doing one or two of the things that your neighbors are doing, that you're good and clean and pure. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. But the psalmist said it does matter what your actions are, clean hands and a pure heart. Purity in these scriptures describes both who you are as well as what you do. It begins with the heart and flows outward because the heart is where our thoughts, desires, and since um, my commercial breaks over, by the way, I didn't tell you. I'm back in. This might be on the screen. I'm not sure, but a pure heart. This is a quote by someone unknown. A pure heart has no hypocrisy, no guile, no hidden motives. Pure heart is marked by transparency and an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. That's a pure heart. It is more than an external purity of behavior. It's an internal purity of soul. I like that. People tend to look on the outside, and that's why we like to purify the outside up quick. Try to look good. Because when I come to church on Sunday, I don't want anybody thinking that I got some issues, right? So we try to clean up the outside, even though the inside's like, well, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs. In other words, you got dead bodies on the inside. Oh, but you look good on the outside. It's just it's something about that. We, we think that it matters, and it does matter. So don't get me wrong. It matters what's on the outside, but it should come from the inside. You know, we, we as people do judge the outside so quick, and, and yet God looks on the inside. We see in the Old Testament when... Um, it's a story you can read later if you haven't read it. But when God spoke to Samuel and he said, hey, go to Jesse's house. We're going to make uh, one of his sons the king of Israel. And he went and he called all his sons. And there were some big, handsome men, you know. They were, ah, some brawny men. And um, Mr. Clean, I don't know. But they were just there. And he was like, oh, nope. And God said, nope, 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 nope. Went down the list. Finally, he's like, do you have any more sons? Because God didn't tell me any of these were your king. And he, well, I got this one son. He's out in the field. <laughs> didn't think to call him in. Well, he did. He called him in. It was David, and that's, that's the one he anointed. And, but God's looking at the heart. God's looking on the inside of you and I. And he wants that to be pure because he knows that a pure heart results in pure hands. 
pure actions. So, if we want to see God, we have to be holy as he is holy. If we want to see God, we have to be pure. And, and Jesus says, blessed are the pure. Blessed are the pure at heart. They shall see God. So, so let me take just a moment and just kind of be practical. Um, I did my commercial break and got on, got on my soapbox and talked about that. But there is a list. And it's not an exclusive list. But it's a list that gives us an idea of where God's coming from on these things. And it's in Galatians chapter 5. And it describes what God calls through the writer of Galatians. It's called the works of the flesh. And here are some things that are included in that list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And then as if the writer's like, there are many, many more, he says, and things like these. Because <laughs> the list just goes on and on and on. So, so, so what am I supposed to do? What, what, what are we supposed to do? When God says this, if you, want, if you want to see me, you've got to be pure. And, and when Jesus says, blessed are the pure. And, and yet we know when we read lists like this, <clears throat> that maybe we're doing these things or we're allowing these things in our lives. Do I, am I committing sexual immorality? Am I okay with this? Do I, do, remember I said to be pure is to agree with God. To be holy is to agree with God. Do I agree with God that that's wrong? That's a good starting place. When we talk about purity, it's, it's, more than just, it's more than just getting out of the dirty dishwater. It's more than just getting the grunge off of us and the impurities off of us and getting clean and getting on the shelf usable by God. It's more than that. It actually begins with agreeing with God. And I think sometimes we, 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 uh, we, we struggle because we, we don't see ourselves on the shelf usable by God because of our actions. I, I'm, I'm speaking from experience. I know this to be true. And so we, we, we don't see ourselves there. And so we feel like, well, I'm just impure. I might as well just live here. I just, nothing I can do about it. I'm going to get to the gospel in a minute, which is going to help really bring us into that freedom. But at the end of the day, if I'm in this place where I'm doing these things, I'm doing any one of these things, I'm doing anything that's impure, I'm doing anything that's violating the, the holiness of God, then do I agree that I, I'm wrong? Do I agree with God or do I, do I just stand in rebellion and say, well, I'm just not going to agree with God? That's like the first decision I have to make. Now, the cool thing about the way God works in our lives is that he sent the Holy Spirit to live among us. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is here now. And we'll be with you tomorrow at your job and in your classroom. We'll be you at your house tonight and was with you last night. And the Holy Spirit has a way of convicting us, not condemning, but convicting us in a way that's saying, this attitude this of your heart is rebellion. And the Holy Spirit will convict us of that. And we'll feel, you'll feel it. Come on, you all know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> You'll feel dirty in the midst of what you're saying or doing or thinking or viewing. You'll feel it. 
And, and it can be as simple as envy. I mean, I've been convicted of that before where I've been around someone, and you know, I mean, I've made jokes out of this, but it's really true, sad. I'll be around someone who's got the new iPhone, and I don't have the new iPhone. I'm glad you can laugh with me, but it's a real deal where sometimes I'll be like so envious of that, I will almost go get it and put it, just like put it on credit. You know, I'm, I'm thinking that. It's in my mind. And, and the Holy Spirit convicts me, and it's not about the credit. It's not about afforded or not. It's about the envy. And that's, ah, okay, you're right. You're right. Oh, I've, I've had to sacrifice a lot of things in my life, not because I couldn't afford them or not because they were wrong. <laughs> it's just the Holy Spirit is like, nah, that's envy. And that's one of those things on that list. And I don't know, maybe he hasn't convicted you of that. Maybe he's convicting you of the sexual immorality or the lying or the stealing or maybe he's convicting you of the sensuality or the porn or whatever it is that, whatever it is that you fill in your blank, you know. And you, you've got to be willing to say, do I agree that this is okay? Or do I disagree? This is okay. Do I agree with God or do I agree with the world? That's that unequally yoked thing. And it really all starts there because I cannot change. I cannot grab the lifeline of God, the Holy Spirit, and let him pull me out of the, well, I've just painted this picture, haven't I, of you being in a spaghetti-filled sink of bath water, you know, and it's nasty. And then the, there's the rope. Boop, Holy Spirit throws it in, conviction. And he's going to pull me out. But I can't even grab the rope if I'm not agreeing that it's wrong, right? Because I'm just okay. I'm, I'm all right with this. I'm all right with this. I'm choosing this. And now I'm in rebellion. And now I'm saying I don't want the presence of God. And that's a dangerous place to be. Or do I say, this is wrong. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it, but it's wrong. And God, I agree with you. And that's the beginning of purity and holiness. That's the beginning of the progression of moving towards the shelf, usable, servant of God, life. Is saying, I agree. And then grabbing that lifeline of conviction of the Holy Spirit and allowing him to pull us out of the miry clay, out of the dirty dishwater. Purity begins as a result of believing that Jesus died in your place to ransom you from your impurity. Jesus died so you didn't have to live in the dirty dishwater. He gave his life as payment for your sin. And that's the gospel. Crazy thing is, and I'll refer back to my commercial break, is the crazy thing is we think if I quit smoking, drinking, cussing, running with those that do... I'm on this performance treadmill, then I'm good. I'm good. I'm pleasing God. I've done it. Look at me. I'm up on plane. I'm good. I'm good. Which we always stumble and fall. You know, start smoking again or whatever. You know, get me a old dip in my mouth. And we, oh, I feel so bad. Jump back into the pool of spaghetti-filled dirty dishwater. They said, just condemnation, cycle, sin. Oh, miserable me. Working my way back up. I can't wait for Sunday so I can go in and worship and then feel clean again, right? And even in that, it's, it's just filthy rags. It's dirty. It's not clean. That's not the plan. The plan is that I recognize that I'm impure. And there's, there's nothing I can do to change that. I can't be good enough. And so 
Jesus went to a cross and he died on a cross for me, died and took the punishment, death, so I didn't have to. And so when I received that free gift, God makes me whole. He takes me out of the miry clay. He takes me out of the dirty dishwater. And then I'm free from that, and purity increases. So purity began when I accepted Jesus and what he did for me, but it increases as I work together with the Holy Spirit to live as a redeemed child of God. I work together with the Holy Spirit. So I use that analogy of dishwater cleaned, put on a shelf, clean, ready for use. But then I'm used, so I get dirty. You know, there's still some pizza crust on the outside of my rim. And then I get back in the dishwater, and I get clean. I get back on the shelf. It's working together. It's a want to. It's a pure at heart. It's a pure heart saying, I want to be. I want to be clean. I want to be pure. It's a desire. I, I don't want to be unequally yoked. I don't want to go back into that life. Oh, I might, I might trip and fall. And the crazy thing is sometimes we, we, we hate each other. Sometimes we beat each other up when we trip and fall. I think we should hold each other to account, but we should, we should show grace in that. We do trip and fall. We do fall back into the spaghetti water. Spaghetti slippery, you know. But God is faithful to give us grace. We come back and we get clean and we get back on the shelf. Work together with the Holy Spirit. Let the conviction of the Holy Spirit that's happening in your heart right now, let it in. Let him, let him convict you. Don't run from that. And allow God to, to cleanse you and purify you so that you're usable again. I won't share one last passage of Scripture as we get ready to close today, but... Um, I think I think the band can come on up, Morgan. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna sing a song here in a second. But um, James chapter four verse seven. I'm pretty sure it's gonna be on the screen. I hope it's on the screen. James four seven. Yeah, here we go. Very familiar passage of scripture, but I I think it gives some ingredients to how we stay pure at heart. Number one, submit yourselves therefore to God. So I already said this. I won't belabor it. But that's agreeing with Jesus. Okay. So submitting yourself to God is agreeing with Jesus. Yes. God's way is the right way. My way, jacked up, not going to work. The world's way, not going to work. God's way, that's the best way. I agree with Jesus. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And the other part of that says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So earlier I said that we, we separate ourselves, right, from the unclean, and we consecrate ourselves or commit ourselves to what is clean, right? what is pure, what is holy, what is, what is healthy for us, God's way, right? So it's a, it's a two-part thing. So not only do I submit to God and say, I agree with you, we have to see the ways of the world, the devil's way, if you want to put it that way, and disagree with that. I'm not going to agree with the ways of the world. So let me, let me just kind of build a little tension in between here because some of you, <clears throat> some of you, God gives you a little revelation of that, like, oh, this is wrong. And I'll, I'll use an illustration here. I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, okay, so... I like, I like Starbucks. I drink Starbucks coffee. I got Starbucks coffee in my cupboard, and uh, I like the way it tastes. Um, now, you probably don't like me anymore if you're against Starbucks, but some of you have got convicted that Starbucks, well, they support this and this and this, and so I'm not going to support Starbucks anymore. So God has convicted you of that. God has convicted you. Don't support Starbucks. They're evil. They're part of the devil's plan. Don't support Starbucks. I, I'm, not, I'm not condoning that, but 
that's what God's convicted you of. And so let's just say, can I use your section over there? Y'all are the Starbucks, anti-Starbucks. God's convicted you. So you are against Starbucks. You don't drink Starbucks. You drink Folgers. I don't know that Folgers is any more pure, but God hasn't convicted you of that. So you drink Folgers, not Starbucks, but the rest of us are drinking Starbucks. And so you consecrating yourself, right? Separating yourself, disagreeing with the devil, no more Starbucks. You've gotten away from that and you look up and here we are with our Starbucks cups, drinking our Starbucks coffee and you get mad at us. And you can't believe us for drinking our Starbucks coffee and you're like, look at her, she's turning up her folders right now. She's like so proud. I'm picking on you, Bridget. But that's, that's how we get sometimes. There's a tension in this thing because just because God has convicted you to separate yourself of something doesn't mean he's convicted your neighbor or your husband, by the way, of that same thing. Live for you. That doesn't mean if you see someone headed for a cliff that you don't warn them. I'm not saying that. I don't think that Drinking Starbucks is headed for a cliff. But if someone is headed into something, maybe you've caught your spouse on porn, I don't think that you just go, oh, well, God hasn't convicted him of that yet or her of that yet, and you just leave it alone. That's not what I'm saying. You do confront things that are catastrophic. But, but let, me, let me just say, there's a tension in this thing. I mean, God's convicted me of things before. I mean, goodness, Angela could tell you that he didn't convict her of, didn't convict anybody else of, and I had to deal with that myself. I had to carry that because he was working on me. He was separating me from things that, for, and even for a season, I just shared this somewhere, maybe here, maybe here. There was a season where, man, God convicted me of caffeine. He said, caffeine is like codeine, and you wouldn't take codeine. Why do you take caffeine? And I'm like driving my little mower in my yard going, oh, God, I'm sorry. I won't ever drink coffee or tea again, and I didn't for years. And you didn't blame the devil, or you can accept this is from God, but one day he said, Mike, you can drink caffeine again. It wasn't the caffeine. It was a test of obedience. The lesson wasn't caffeine. The lesson was, and you may be anti-caffeine. You may be saying, oh, he fell off the wagon. Oh, Lord, help him. Yeah, pray for me. Pray for me. But when God works on you, he works on you. That doesn't mean he's working on your kids or your neighbors or your mommy or your daddies. Just obey and let him cleanse your cup and put you on a shelf of use for him. Sorry, I spent a long time on James 4, 7, but it's important. We disagree with those things that God convicts us to disagree with. And then verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This happens practically. Listen, don't, don't check out yet. Practically, open your Bible and read. Pray, worship, meditate. Go to small group, community. All these things are the practical things of drawing near to God and he'll draw near to you. He does that through the body of Christ, through the word of God, through worship and prayer. The rest of that says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Honestly, I really think this is confession of sin. Sometimes you need someone to just confess to. You know, we talked about agreeing with, <clears throat> agreeing with God, disagreeing with the devil or the world. And allowing God to throw in the lifeline of conviction. I believe there's a point somewhere in here where there are, there are things where we need to confess with our mouths. Confess our sins. And, you know, whether it's to a prayer team member or to a small group leader or to a pastor or to a confidant. Someone we can trust. But just to confess our sins. It's just there's a cleansing, a purging, a washing that takes place when we confess our sins. And that person that we confess to and they, and they pray with us. They don't condemn us. That's not their job. They pray with us and... Man, we, 
Arnie, you, you lead the men's freedom. You've done this for years and years and years. You've heard men confess. You've stood in the, the front of the church and had men confessing their sins. And you've watched the freedom come in their lives. The, sh- the, the shoulders rise up. The weight, the burden of sin lifts off of them. And you know what it feels like because you remember when it happened to you and you confessed. And it's just a good, healthy process. We, we get pure by confessing. Verse 9 says, be wretched and mourn and weep. We've talked about this, you know, acknowledging our brokenness. We talked about this earlier in the Beatitudes. But let your laughter be turned to mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. Joy to gloom. And then the last scripture there is, is verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. We talked about David earlier in the Old Testament, the king of Israel, that God sent Samuel and he couldn't find a king and, and all these sharp men, big men. And, all, and then finally David came in from the field. He anointed him and he became the king. And he was what... God called, the Bible called, the greatest king of Israel ever. And, and then um, he sinned in a couple of different ways. Um, and God came to him and confronted him and he repented. He humbled himself before the Lord. I think that an ongoing lifestyle of repentance is necessary to stay clean and usable by God. And it's agreeing with God. And it's not allowing ourselves to fall back into the the. Di- the dirty dishwasher water, it's, just, it's, it's a good rinsing, a repeat, right? Back on the shelf. And after David's repentant process in, in Psalm 51, he said, Create in me a clean heart, oh God, renew a right spirit in me. Oh, it's a humble heart. Man, pride will get us in trouble. We all have some of that. Pride will cause us to. Rebel against God. Pride will cause us to think we know best. Pride will cause us to follow the, the crowd instead of following Jesus. And David says, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart. A pure heart. Like Jesus said, blessed are the pure at heart. They shall see God. They will experience God both in the everlasting but even now. Why don't you get along with God right where you're sitting and and let's, let's take a moment to get pure. Father, we repent of our sins. And that looks different all over the room for all of us because we, we all have different sins. We all have different things, whether it's things we've done with our hands or our words or it's things we've done on the inside and what we've allowed ourselves to partake of. Your Holy Spirit is faithful to convict us, and so right now we submit to that conviction. We agree with you, God. Your way is the best way. It's the only way. The right way. It's the way to holiness. And we repent of our sins. We disagree with what we've done. We ask you to forgive us. Wash us. Cleanse us with the precious blood of Jesus. Jesus, what you did on the cross was for all of us. And we come clean. Now, would you renew a right spirit within us? Oh, Lord. So that we may be usable to you, so that we may be able to shine bright and glorify Jesus in our day-to-day with our families, with our children, with our coworkers or classmates, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we'd be able to shine bright and 
glorify you in all that we do. Lord, I pray for those that are here, maybe they've never said yes to Jesus, that today as they repent and ask you to forgive them, that you would, that you would wash them clean and that they would be able to live their lives for you. Not in a duty, but in a delight. Not in works, but in relationship. God, that would be for all of us. Our prayer. Oh, that we could love Jesus more than we love sin. And that we would devote our lives to pleasing you. I pray for your people today. I pray for me. I pray for us. I pray, God, that we would be able to glorify you and enjoy you as you intended. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.